I've found that people resonate with alignment through seeing other people's passion. So if we follow people doing their passion, you see that person is seeking exactly who they're supposed to become, not just for themselves, but for their broader experience for, for what they should be for the universe. I really wanted to showcase those type of projects, and then those projects started coming to me. All right, today's guest on the Gravity Podcast is Joshua Clark. Joshua is somebody that I've just recently had a chance to get to know. I was introduced to him from uh, Jim Sweeney and others in Franklinton, and he's a award-winning Columbus-based filmmaker. He's an author, a poet, and a screenwriter. And his production company is located in Franklinton in the Idea Foundry, and they're focused on bringing light into the world with the projects that they make, particularly focusing on projects that teach healing and alignment. So, you know, learning about this, uh, it's right in my wheelhouse. I love film. I'm certainly a big proponent of healing and alignment and bringing things into the light. And so it's an honor to have a chance to get to know Josh, have him on the podcast. He's got a great, great story. Very, very interesting path to the work that he's doing. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Thanks. All right. Well, welcome. Thanks for uh, joining me on the Gravity Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, let's start at the beginning. Let's hop right in. Okay. I want to hear. I know you've got a, a really full and rich story, and um, you know, excited to get to know you and I'm enjoying seeing what you're doing today. But I, I want to really share the path to your work today and start at the beginning by just telling me a little bit about kind of your childhood, your upbringing, and where you're mm. from, and your family dynamics, and all that. All the Crazy good stuff. stuff. <laughs> yeah, the good stuff. Yeah. I mean, um, so originally Pittsburgh, Steubenville area, that's where like my parents are, you know, half Pittsburgh area, half in Eastern Ohio and kind of bounced around city life in the regular school year and country life in the summers. I got shipped out all the time when I was a kid to, to my hillbilly relatives, I say, to work on a farm and everything, which was great. I mean, uh, I don't think there's anything quite like autonomy for a kid than just being allowed to wander in the woods alone, mm -hmm. which I was granted, which was awesome for mm -hmm. me. Especially, you know, my neighborhood, whereas that was pretty a little rough socioeconomically. You know, I was in the tail end of like the crack AIDS epidemic and everything. So, mm -hmm. you know, that was very prevalent in the neighborhood I was in. So um, getting to escape that a little bit was was good. Mm -hmm. <sighs> and what else? I don't know. And then we moved up here. Well, tell me just yeah. before you, you um, get into yeah. Next, you know, what were you like as a kid? I mean, tell me a little bit mm. more about kind of, you know, your your parents, your family, you know, what you were like, what you remember about, you know, being a kid. Yeah, uh, I was a stubborn, kind of bullheaded kid, you know, too smart for my own good and the situation very uh, challenging to all the adults around my life. I thought I knew better than a lot of them. And um that got me in a lot of trouble mm -hmm. as a kid, ornery. Family dynamics, you know, a lot in, you know, not my immediate family. You know, my parents had a relatively good marriage. There was a lot of volatility with like arguing and fighting and not enough money. There was always resource fighting all the mm -hmm. time. A lot of my ancillary family, you know, outside of it, there was there's a, there's a history of 
drug and alcohol abuse, domestic violence, violence in general. You know, I got uncles that are part of motorcycle gangs and lived in that world and, and in and out of prison and, and a lot of that. So that, that was very, you know, that aesthetic was very visual to me mm-hmm. growing up, uh, very mm-hmm. prevalent. Mm-hmm. And and do, what do you remember about what you thought about that? You know, was that was there something that, you know, was scary? Was it kind of have some, I don't know, was some appeal to it? The, you know, the motorcycle yeah. thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, tell me, what was it like when you were a kid just being around all that? And when I'm a kid, you know, it was weird because I would, I would spend some time with my grandma, my dad's mom um, after school. And that was one, my two uncles that were really like basically in and out of jail my whole mm-hmm. Life. So every once in a while, I'd get to, they'd call and they were on the West Coast or wherever the hell they were mm-hmm. in jail or whatever it was. And so we'd get these, talk to your uncle, he's in prison. I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, that's strange. But mm-hmm. they didn't quite understand what was going on. And then when he would come around, yeah, they would come in. You know, we'd go to family reunion, there'd be 40 or 50 motorcycles just pulling to family mm-hmm. reunion. And that's exciting as a kid. I mean, that kind of mm-hmm. got the hook in me from motorcycle riding, which is which is a big passion of mine mm-hmm. throughout my whole life. But yeah, that that dynamic was strange. And I think anyone that has any family that's that's gone through that, you know, in and out of incarceration, it's a it's a weird feeling, like mm-hmm. a connect slash disconnect with mm-hmm. your own people mm-hmm. and your family. So mm-hmm. Yeah, and so tell me, aside from seeing the motorcycles, which I'm, which I'm actually curious about because I happen to like motorcycles too. I don't ride because I had a motorcycle in college that I put down, um, went over the handlebars, and that got me to stop for a long time. And now as an adult, <laughs> I've been kind of flirting with it again. But yeah, you know, there's it's not real popular at home. Yeah, I can uh, imagine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just just tell me like a little bit more about like what were you into, you know, oh, just yeah, kind of yeah. as you were starting to maybe even move to Columbus. Like what were your interests? What were you taking interest in at that time? Yeah, a lot of it, you know, I kind of fell into what came natural with what my family wanted. That was a lot of athletics. There's a lot of mm-hmm. athletics that are in our family, you know, yeah. sport, sport, sport. You know, growing up in Pittsburgh and in, in Ohio, or Pennsylvania, Ohio, you play football and wrestle and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I got into that, but I never, I don't know how to explain it. was always a means to an end to me. Mm-hmm. Like if I did that, people left me alone to do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, a lot of my creative side. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of that led to, I don't know how to just, say it but i mean i was not very good like i sold a lot of drugs i sold Mm -hmm. guns i was really on a Mm -hmm. on a different kind of path Mm -hmm. um and i think a lot of that was due to the fact that i wasn't engaged in the world that other people wanted me to be engaged in Mm -hmm. so i found outlets that weren't always the most productive Mm -hmm. how old were you when you were doing that I'd say it's probably started like 13, 14. Yeah. That age. And how much of that do you think was influenced by what you were seeing around mm-hmm. you with your uncles and that kind of stuff? And then how much of it is like, and it's hard to say exactly. I mean, you were a kid, but just uh-huh. in hindsight, you know, this idea that, you know, you couldn't really maybe go towards the outlets that felt like who you really were. Uh, not, uh, probably 50 50. I mean, a lot of it, yeah, is family. I, I grew up. And, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, most of my family's working class people, you know, they were steel workers, iron workers, that kind of stuff. But, you know, the other ones that weren't mm-hmm. were definitely, you know, they were into crime and, and mm-hmm. violence and, and that was how they made it. And there was no like 
I guess there wasn't stigmas to that. I was just like, well, this is how it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I grew up seeing a lot of violence. So mm-hmm. that's just what happens. You know, that's how you solve problems. That's how mm-hmm. you resolve it. That's how you make money. It's not mm-hmm. a big deal. So, and then being in the neighborhood, you know, growing up on the south side of Columbus, it's very prevalent there. Mm-hmm. It's just part of culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it was weird to me. I remember going to college and <laughs> when I just assumed everybody, everyone sells drugs. You know, you sell mm-hmm. a little, Weed, or you sell some pills, you sell some coke. That's mm. just what you do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're like, no, that's not mm-hmm. what you do. But mm-hmm. like, that's just the culture we grew up. In. That was just an expectation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It was it's, a normalcy. Yeah. yeah, it's fascinating because I do think the the culture and the environment that you're, you know, in, raised in, that you grow up in, can really normalize some some things that are terribly unhealthy. Yeah. You know, and it's not even like they're not normal. It's like, well, not in that world. And by the way, those worlds are are probably more prevalent than people want to acknowledge Very you true. know there are a lot of environments where that is the norm mm-hmm. and especially if you're young you know and you just don't know any better that's all mm-hmm. you see you're going to live right into that mm-hmm. you know which is a is a real uh systemic problem yeah i mean until i really sought out therapy in you know my late mid and late 30s i didn't understand the nature of violence Mm-hmm. really in an acute way until it was kind of explained to me and I processed it mm-hmm. through therapy. Mm-hmm. And, and that was eye-opening to, mm-hmm. to realize like how much you push down and how much you normalize things that shouldn't be normal to the human experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I want to talk about that, but but tell me a little bit first. Mm-hmm. You know, you said you went to college and and I'm kind of curious how you bridge that gap from you know, being a 13-year-old and, you know, imagining through middle school, high school that you're selling drugs, guns, you know, kind of up to all kinds of trouble, but you must be doing academically well enough to uh, go to college. You still had aspirations Uh, that college was where you wanted, where you saw yourself. Yeah, that that was the the strange thing. So, you know, my dad, he did his graduate work in economics and, and, you know, that was an expectation put on. So there wasn't like, there wasn't other Mm -hmm. alternatives, like you're going to college. Yeah. So I think the expectations that always was with me. And then I was lucky enough, you know, I was good at football. I was really good at football, really good at track, had opportunities outside of that. And quite candidly, it's, I got good grades. It was so easy for me. But I got good grades and did those things so the people left me alone. Mm-hmm. I figured if I played that role for them, mm-hmm. they would let me do the role that I wanted to do, which mm-hmm. was the other things. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you get to college and you have a bit of an eye-opening experience mm-hmm. where you realize, you know, this isn't the norm. What, tell me about that kind of phase of your life. Like what, what happens there and, and how does that, you yeah. know, kind of shift things for you? Well, funny, I mean, I went to the University of Dayton, which is fairly affluent. So that was my first kind of foyer into an affluent world or community. And I remember when I went, Showed up to football camp. I'm, I'm a white guy, and they didn't understand that. I mean, I had cornrows and braids in my hair from what we did. You know, I had a girl in my neighborhood set me up before I took off. And they were like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't understand mm-hmm. what I was. So I didn't understand kind of their world. And, and it was good. Those dichotomies clashing for me really got me exposed. Now I had to, you know, deal with some very ignorant comments and, mm-hmm. you know, some racist shit and, and mm-hmm. some things called on that. But... For the vast majority of people were just as curious to me as I, I was of their culture. Mm-hmm. And I, pr- I started bridging that gap and the realization that 
these people suffer from some expectations put on them the same way mm -hmm. I did. They may have resources, but their brains are still in the same place where they're trying to live up to a certain standard. Sometimes they can't achieve. And you recognize yeah. that? I recognize yeah, it. Yeah, you saw really. That. Yeah. Because I knew the pain. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, yeah. that empathy, I don't know if I had a sense you of empathy. You saw yourself in that. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. saw it. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. You know, that is like how how we change, yeah. you know, when you can see that. Yeah. I mean, at first I had a giant chip on my shoulder. I was yeah. just like, fuck these Richies, man. They're assholes. They don't want to treat me anything. Yeah. And then, you know, you get drunk a few times and you, you get and to know somebody. You get to know somebody. And yeah. they're like, yeah, man, this sucks. I don't want to, you know, right. what the fuck? I'm doing shit for my dad. I don't want to do. Right. I don't want his law firm. I don't want to be the CEO of a stupid company. I, right. You know, there's something I want to chase, but yeah. I'm trapped in this existence. And, and I felt for him because it was like, man, there were days. And all I felt was trapped in my own existence. I'm like, man, how do how do I get out of here? Mm -hmm. And I would do anything to get out of that mm -hmm. existence. So there was that that kinship that I could feel, mm -hmm. which was new to me. Because in my world, socioeconomically, you know, rich people are enemies. You know, they're just assholes. Mm -hmm. They're out to get you. They're, mm -hmm. they're the man. They're my boss. They're mm -hmm. this guy. Mm -hmm. So you're taught that. And then you're taught a different a relationship with money mm -hmm. in general. Like, mm -hmm. oh, that'll make you bad. That's what all the bad people mm -hmm. do. And that's what they're chasing. And they'll never be happy. I was like, I, I don't see happy here either. Mm -hmm. So where's happy? Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. so. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking about uh, on my drive here, you know, we just met recently. And, you know, I think I, I felt like you were curious to get to know me because you were trying to, to some extent, and I, you know, you can tell me how accurate this is, but to some extent you were trying to, figure out if I was one of those guys, you know? Um, a little bit, yeah. You know, was mm -hmm. I just one of these rich guys, you know, who yeah. was full of shit and, you know, out to get people? Or was I actually sincere and um, like well-intended? What we know? talked about, I'd heard things. And, yeah. and I wanted to see, you know, I've been walking my path, you know, fairly recently. We, walk, we all walk our path, sure. but then we finally had that moment of clarity and that awakening then you start really starting to align yourself with, with what the universe needs from you. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'd heard. I'd heard the whispers of, mm -hmm. well, Brett's doing this, maybe this. And I'm like, well, I know commercial real estate developers. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and that's, that's fair. You, you don't I mean, wake up and you, and you just have this kind of money to do it and resource and everything. And they're yeah. typically you know, very driven on a sure. very different path. Right. path. And uh, yeah, I was surprised. I mean, I did yeah. want to know you for those reasons. Yeah. I was very curious of your story. Yeah, I mean, it's not that it's like an unfair thing too. I mean, these stories that we tell ourselves are sometimes really informed by very real data, right? right. There are a lot of greedy real estate developers. There are a lot of you know rich assholes who really are trying to be the man. And right, I mean, a lot of that is true. Well, and it's not all true. So, you know, to kind of be able to have an opportunity as you're in college to peel that back a little bit and start to kind of get more curious with people. Well, the other side of it is, you know, the artists down here in this community are all going to say, well, that's those are the bad guys infringing on what we're doing. And I think a lot of them, to my knowledge, and you can correct me, mm. they reach out to you because they all want something. Like, well, he can if he says this and he can give me money for this project, he can mm -hmm. give me money for that. He can do this. He's done that. Mm -hmm. And I, I was just, I would be perplexed as to why you think he should solve all your problems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's why I was like, man, people got to come to him every goddamn day. And the sad thing is I've known very wealthy people mm -hmm. through my walks of life in different circles that I've done. And they're trapped and never having no idea 
who to trust, who to believe in, what's true, mm -hmm. because people are coming at them all the time mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. whatever they are mm -hmm. and never looking through the vantage point of their experience as to what, what do you need, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't, I was like, man, I, I hope everyone doesn't come at him mm. like that. And that's why, I mean, honestly, I was curious. Mm. I just wanted to know yeah. your story. And you made that clear. I mean, I said I felt like you were wanting to be curious with me and you were really wanting to actually get a chance to know me. And, and I appreciate that. It was a good chance for us to get to know, to know each other. Oh. And, you know, that that's maybe just kind of as a you know, separate tangent here. I mean, I I like being a part of this community. I like really just being in community in general. I've been talking a lot about this on the podcast. You know, I think community is defined by the universe, right? Yeah. It's the ultimate community. And we're all just kind of breaking it down into our own little, you know, pieces of that. And uh, this community in particular feels very much connected to the the big universe community, because I like the energy of it, the spirit of creatives, of, you know, hardworking artists, people that are actually interested in fully expressing themselves. You know, that that to me is what drew me here. Yeah. And so to get a chance to meet people like you that are in the neighborhood that are actually creating really cool shit is fun Well, for do you me. feel you're removed from the creative? I mean, I like, I guess when our conversations... I, every aspect of this existence has some form of creativity. And whether your your vision is executing some of the buildings around or whatever you are trying to do and protecting, mm -hmm. there's a creative process in that. I don't mm -hmm. I don't think there should ever be a divide. I think there and that I think is bad for the human experience, individual human experience to put a divide in your creativity. Mm -hmm. You need that to survive. Yeah, no, I think you're right that and I've talked about this too, and Rick Rubin talks about mm -hmm. it, you know, that the creativity can can exist in anything and everything and and it does right we're creating our lives whether you know we like them or not you know we're always in creation so i feel very connected to that but my comment about this community and you know the broader community yeah. is i haven't always felt connected gotcha. right i have felt separation in mm. the past and part of it and i want to come back to some things that you said was because i didn't feel safe or I didn't feel confident enough. You know, mm -hmm. I'll even just take responsibility for it. I didn't have enough confidence in who I was to just be in the world mm -hmm. as I am. Mm -hmm. Right. And when you're not safe or you don't feel comfortable for whatever reason, it's hard to exist. Expressing yourself, yeah. that divide is going to be there. Mm -hmm. You're separate from, right? Yeah. You're always part of it, but yeah. right, you don't feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I, you know, people, I've had other people ask me, what's, what's you know, like your favorite project? Like, what are you most excited for right now? And, I always try to answer them and I know they think I'm some wackadoodle, but I'm like, existence. Mm. I walk in this space to exist. The, mm. the things around me are manifestations of that, mm. but I walk in the space I do to exist. Yeah. That's my project. I love that. Yeah. Uh, well, let's back up because okay. you've come to that place, but you know, it doesn't sound like you were always there. And what I was curious about is through high school, through college, there's a part of you that you are not really uh, expressing. You know, it's not who you're being. And you're finding these other things to, to deal with the fact that you don't really want to be where you are mm. and you're not really being who you actually are. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm curious about is 
who who was that that you actually were that you weren't expressing? What was it? Who was it? It was this. Yeah. I, I mean, I was where I'm at now is is who I always who I always felt I was. Yeah. But you know, I came out of college and I had this responsibility. I'm like, you know, my everyone sacrificed for me to get here. You know, from my mm-hmm. socioeconomic economic level, it's I made it out. I got a good education, good opportunity. I better make the most of this, follow the path, you know, do what's expected of me so that I can provide, provide for myself, maybe put a family together. So I just fell into a corporate role, you know, mm. engineering kind of sales. I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. this is good enough. And mm-hmm. and then I had four years where I would break free of that. You know, I started an independent record label when I was in Chicago and St. Louis. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is great. I laugh because it's one of the biggest failures in my life, lost every dime I had, and it was the most glorious year I had in my life. That was a full-time gig? Yeah. Yes, yeah, you I left, left the... I yeah. left it, yeah, when I was 25, almost 26 mm-hmm. for a year. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I said, I got to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents like, you're going to starve. You're not here in Columbus. We can't take care of you. Mm-hmm. You got to figure it out. And I'm like, but I knew that inside, like this wasn't me. So mm-hmm. I had that little breaking point. It failed, and I went back to what I knew, and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of back to the business world, and did that for a number of years until I had another epiphany where I'm like, we're constantly trying to search for what we are. Decided to run for political office. I had mm-hmm. a lot of friends in that world, and and uh, started gaining allies. I really got training, and I'm like, yeah, this is good. You know, I'd, yeah. Tell yeah. me, what, what was? I mean, it's fascinating oh, to me because yeah. you you have such a wide range of experience in this journey. And, you know, I, in talking to you, kind of see how it all led you to where you are, right? I mean, you're using all of it, but, um, which is, which is the thing that I love the most, right? When I see people that are just using all this experience yeah. to create from this place that you're in now. But what was it that drew you to politics? I got, it wasn't the political process and that it was, I seriously, you know, when I came back to Columbus, I moved right back down the south side where I knew. And I looked at Parsons Avenue where I grew up and it looked the exact same it did 30 years ago when I was a kid. And I heard so many politicos, so many people, and I don't want to throw them under the bus, but so many from the Democratic Party would come around every single year and they're going to tell me how you give me this vote, I'm going to make it better. It wasn't better. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, and I don't think they understood even, you know, most politicians don't even understand what the people really need. I think hey, some do. But for us, I was trying to explain to them, we need economic opportunities. I don't, I don't need handouts. I mean, people have hope through a job and a purpose. And I, I wish that some of those entities had, could put that in their life. And I know that politicians are limited to what they can and can't do. But you can be an agent of change in those neighborhoods. You know, you can use political power and capital to make those changes outside of what you can do at the state house. And I think it's vastly more important. My idea was like, I can do for the people on my South side. Like I I look around, I'm like, I have the skill set that I can change. You know, Mm -hmm. I can speak the language of business and entrepreneurship. I can speak the language of my own people, where we come from and explain to them what this is going to mean. Unfortunately, at that time, I couldn't speak the political language. Mm -hmm. I I was too candid, Mm -hmm. somewhat abrasive Mm -hmm. um, in my, in my speech, my manner. And, and, Mm -hmm. That's not going to get you a lot of friends and 
political world. Mm-hmm, you, know, you have to mm-hmm. be very savvy and tactful. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you really were coming at it from a place of actually wanting to make a change. That's it. It was personal. Yeah. You 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 cared about this neighborhood, yeah. and you thought that would be the way yeah. that maybe you could really make a difference. And so, yeah, you you might have lacked some of the uh, political skills, but that by itself is kind of interesting because you know I can get that like there's certain ways to communicate that are more likely to work, right? On the other hand, like I'm curious a little bit about the politics, right? That part kind of bothers me a bit, right? That you have to be a politician in order to become a politician and. Yeah. You know, sure, maybe you're abrasive, but like, is that really what matters? The political parties. It's their party. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and I think that people have to understand from the outset, it's it's more of a club than it is a party or democracy. You know, it it is really, truly, you've got to build coalitions inside of it and tactfully get allies. And um, a lot of times, to be quite candid, and I don't know, probably get in trouble for saying it, but they don't care what's going on the outside you know i've had yeah. internal meetings where they're just like i don't i don't care what citizens need like mm-hmm. i would sit down and with with some of the more powerful ones trying to get allies they're like i, I don't care what, mm-hmm. what can you do for me like literally mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. felt like the slimiest situation i've mm-hmm. ever been in mm-hmm. and i was like you people think business people are slimy and i've never heard the kind of dialogue and and the conversations in my professional business life the 20 years i did that that i had the Two years that we're in the political rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, and more and more, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful I had that experience, but I'm very grateful that I lost. I got my ass kicked in the primary. Mm-hmm. Loved it because, again, I'm one of those weirdos that, that likes failure mm-hmm. <laughs> in, mm-hmm. a, in a weird sense. I mean, mm-hmm. not like, man, I just love losing everything, but right. I know they're the best amount of lessons can be learned the quickest. And yeah, you embrace failure. it. You don't yeah. let it take you down and uh-uh. you just kind of learn and move yeah. on. So, Tell me a little bit about, you know, you talked about therapy, talked about learning about violence. You talked about some epiphanies along the way. What really shakes you that wakes you up that has you kind of start to really look at yourself and figure out, you know, how you want to start to be in the world? Yeah. So unfortunately it was, it was the demise of my first marriage, you know, and that divorce. And, and the weird thing is, not weird, I guess, but I, I felt really bad because I put so much on my ex-wife, the expectations. So, you know, me escaping poverty in some degrees and escaping my own past and really trying to work this, this past. So, you know, I started in my mid-20s, late-20s, really doing a lot of community work. I was big with Habitat Humanity, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, because in my brain, I thought I could buy my soul back for a mm. lot of the evil things that I had done when I was mm. younger. So I put all this work in, tried to become this different person, this very much more gentle version of myself. And it all culminated with me finding this woman whom I loved more than anything, any human at the time. And I thought, well, this is the reward. Mm-hmm. I get to have this experience. But I didn't accept her as just a wife. Like She was my salvation, my Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. my mentor, my everything. Mm-hmm. And that's not fair to put on another human being. So we tried as hard as we could. To, to stay married, I mean, mm. it, and some things fell apart. And in that divorce process, you know, I finally had basically a mental collapse and breakdown mm. where, you know, attempted suicide and, and really dark place, depression, that whole deal, where from rising there 
and, and to her credit, my ex-wife actually was the one who said, I'll, I'll find you a therapist. Mm. In the process of our divorce, she's like, I want you to get help. I want you to be good. Mm-hmm. And I started that process of therapy to, to pull myself out of that and understanding of more who I was. Mm-hmm. Were you yeah. in like a, I mean, I'm just, you know, imagining, I think it's probably pretty obvious that, you know, if you're at the brink of, of suicide, you're, you're at a rock bottom. Because, you know, I think a lot of people, less today, but are probably people that grew up in the South Side, people that grew up, you know, around, you know, uncles like you had, they're pretty resistant to therapy. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so you, you imagine you're in a place that's just like, desperation now that you're open to starting to talk to somebody yeah like you were saying so you know that that omerta that irish omerta and and you know we have some native american blood in us where it's just like you don't talk about these issues Mm -hmm. you drink these issues away or you do some drugs to get these issues away you know that's what men do so yeah that was just not a part of the print to, to what we were but funny enough you know that was actually the first film project that i produced on my own through that process, when I came out of it and talked to my therapist about it, but we made a short doc about the men's mental health and how we use motorcycle riding as a coping mechanism. Mm. So that brought me into this career where I was like, it was weird. We I put a camera in front of my family members' faces, and it's like they started saying everything we were supposed to say to each other for three generations. Mm. A lot of pain. It was mm-hmm. hurt worst like five emotional days of my life. Fascinating. Well, well, let let me back up for a second. So what had you in therapy? If if, I'm not sure if I totally understood that, but what had you decide to pick up the camera? That was one of those uh, aha shower moments, Mm -hmm. you know, when when you have this clarity. I had an idea, had no idea how it executed. I had no friends film. I had no idea, you know, no, no producers, no directors, no anything. I just literally started breathing that idea into existence, started telling my friends about it, family members, hey, I got this idea I want to do. By happenstance, maybe within the month, you know, and this is where I know how the universe really works. When it's supposed to be, it will come to you and it will come fast and furious. Within a month, someone said, yeah, I got a friend who just got back from LA. He's he's a director. Let's set up something with you. Mm -hmm. He texted him. This guy came down to the bar uh, at uh, uh, Press Grill, mm-hmm. like within 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to me and he's like, tell me the story of this. And I start telling him. And, and then he's like, shut the fuck up, shut, shut up, shut up. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know you, dude. Like, mm-hmm. I'm about to hit you in the face. Like, that, <laughs> what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. He's like, you got to save it for camera. He's mm-hmm. like, this is too much. Mm-hmm. He's like, we can't re- replicate this. So then I had the confidence to say, well, shit, maybe I do have something here that we haven't talked about or resonated with him. Mm-hmm. Um, within three weeks, we had a production schedule. We're filming, mm. you know, we had it all set. So, and I guess you know, just one more question yeah. about the therapy piece because I do want to jump into that film experience. Tell me, you know, what was it like for you to now start to share yourself in therapy, and and you know, how hard was it initially? Mm-hmm. And just yeah, tell me a little bit about what that was like for you. Very difficult. Again. Another aspect of where I come from is, and this is was very true with, like I said, the friends I met in college is, who do you trust? Mm-hmm. And who is trying to manipulate you? I mean, that's a real thing is like the mind fuck of life in general when, when people are coming at you. So when I would get into therapy, I was always guarded, jaded, and then I would try to outthink and outwit and outmaneuver my mm-hmm. therapist. Mm-hmm. And two of them were just like, 
go. Like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're good. And they, and they even tell me, you're good. You know, you've compartmentalized this thing. You're fine. You're that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck you, dude. Then you don't know me. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't even take the time to know me. You didn't try. And then I had one lady who eventually became my therapist. And she was like, listen, I know you're smarter than me. Mm-hmm. You can manipulate and you can think it through and you can twist me any way you want to. She's like, but how do you heal from that? Mm. What, do you, what do you care? Then, then don't do it. Mm-hmm. Then go the path you want to go. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, this lady gets it. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, it really started opening up about mm-hmm. a lot of the pain and the mm-hmm. situations. And, and she never, it was great. And I think that's what a good therapist does. And there's no answers there. There's a guidance. And she would just guide me until I was ready to read a particular book. And then, mm-hmm. Because that's how I register things. I have to read something and let it formulate mm-hmm. my own mind. I have to sell myself on my own idea, which I'm sure a lot of humans mm-hmm. are like that. But she would guide me in the way I needed to until now, every once in a while, refresh yeah. Was there a book? Was there one that just kind of comes up, you know, as I asked the question that really hit you? Codependency. I can't mm. remember the name of the book, but mm-hmm. I had severe amount of codependency mm-hmm. in, in my marriage and it destroyed everything. About. Mm-hmm. Melanie uh, Beatty, I think, uh, wrote a lot about codependency. I used to follow her uh, yeah. her daily readers. Yeah, that's a big one. Okay, so yeah, let's fast forward a little bit to this first film because I'm imagining, you know, you're healing now you're doing this work you're in therapy you're working on yourself you're looking at stuff and you know universe brings you director you got cameras now and you you want to go to your family first there's obviously a story there that's your story and their story so it it feels like a, a potentially very healing experience for everybody involved is that what happens Eventually. <laughs> but, you know, what was going on with a lot of the, my family members at the time, we had three of us actually going through divorces all at the same time and, and different levels and, and ways that they were dealing with it. So that was difficult. And then for the first time, you know, I was opening up and telling my family members actively that I had attempted suicide and that I was now seeking therapy. That was extremely difficult because none of us would talk about it. No, no one in my family would believe that was me because a lot of them saw me as, as the strongest individual. You know, they would call me and ask me for advice. They would say, what have you read that would make sense to me right here? And, and I had this like sage-like zen to them. So they didn't understand that I, what I went through and then I couldn't be that person for them anymore because I had to go through my own shit. I had to face my father, you know, and tell him about that for the first time. And one of his brothers actually attempted suicide and was in a mental institution for a while because of it. And when they handled it like that, you know, it wasn't handled mm-hmm. the same way in the 70s. So that was very difficult. And then a lot of my cousins started opening up and talking about the domestic violence. And above all the things, you know, that we saw alcohol abuse and, and narcotics and, and all the violence, the domestic violence really shatters you as a kid because through all that stuff, the women in our lives, my aunts, my mom, it were always the, the guiding light. They were always love to us. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I remember going to family functions and seeing like black eyes, but concealer with the black eyes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And like, well, what the hell's going on and knowing what's going on and then seeing it, you know, and watching in front of you. Mm-hmm. And so when we had to talk about that and, and then, we needed to talk about it, but 
that's really hard stuff mm-hmm. to talk about. Mm-hmm. It was just weird how I set out to do interviews on one specific thing, and then everyone was like, nope, we need to talk about this mm-hmm. stuff. And, mm-hmm. and we started mm. really getting into those wow. issues. Incredible. Yeah, I give you a lot of credit. I mean, very courageous. I would imagine that, you know, that was um, not well-received by everybody involved. No. Yeah. No, no, I mean, my actually, the weirdest thing, a lot of my aunts were like, I don't want some of that content on there. Can you mm. please not show that? Mm. I'm like, yeah, but you went through this. And, like, you had to go through this. How like, did you handle that? I have respected, you know, we're just remastering that project and we're getting it ready for the, the cinema columbus fest here so we're actually going to redo that and I've, I've honored most of their wishes but i've also reached out to my cousins who endured that and i've said what do you want me to do and and they've all said i want my story told I'm like mm-hmm. i think it's mm-hmm. you know i lived through it i understand that it may be wrong for them but i should have a voice too and there's part of me that's the title it's called cycle breakers and if we can't even talk about this we can never get to a path where we actually stop the cycle of what we what we are and what we become mm-hmm. and how it may help others. I'm, I'm sure. And when I talk to people about this, like, yeah, that's my family. I have that mm-hmm. guy, I have that uncle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the powerful thing about, well, I was going to say it's the powerful thing about movie, film, but it's really the it's it, the potential powers in all creative outlets, really. Mm. But, you know, I've seen this in my own life and my own sharing and doing this podcast and, you know, other outlets. Sometimes you just feel like you have to get it out of you. It's just like it's like a, a path that you're called to that you just have mm-hmm. to do, um, not knowing really what the outcome is going to be, but being pleasantly surprised at how much it brings out of other people, yeah. you know, and, and how healing can be really contagious, yeah. you know, by just sharing yourself and telling stories. I mean, I, I'm preaching to choir because this is what you do, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but so this movie, this first film, which is so personal, right. That does sound like, you know, you were just called to, like you had to get that out of you. It, it becomes what you do yeah. from there on out. It just, yeah, it resonated with me. And then we started, we had an idea to kind of make it into a, a, a TV series, which, which we are still in the process of doing. And the team, and we still had our nine to fives. No one had finally all the way committed for about a year. And we kept on making promo videos and a little bit. And, it, and But eventually I was like, uh, you know, this is what, what I'm supposed to do. You know, there were a couple of other projects that came into fruition for some feature-length documentaries that we're producing right now. Some people reached out to us and were like, you, you know, this, there's this story and we, we gravitate towards it. And I was like, yeah, we need to do this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, really went full in, opened up the offices and we're all the way in now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Because, um, <laughs> you know, that's a good spot for us to land. I know we're a little tight on time. Well, uh, let's, if we could, yeah, I yeah. feel, you know, I, I know it's your podcast, so I'm yeah, talking a lot, but okay. what, what was your path to healing? Cause you know, you divulged some things that you had to go through as a kid. And, yeah. and there's some, like I said, you know, when we start talking, we have very similar stories, no matter what they are across socioeconomic boundaries that we mm-hmm. put on ourselves. So what, what was yours? And, and was there in a moment? Cause I know it's fairly recently for you, not, you know, a couple of years in the making of you saying, I've got to figure this out for myself. How did that come about? Mm. Well, you know, in, and I've kind of talked about this publicly and, you know, we've put 
podcast up about yeah. it. So I'll kind of be sort of brief in okay. just the yeah. short story. But, you know, I think I believe, and this is, you know, just where I've landed, that my worldview is everything is perfect for what it is and what it's not. And there were certainly parts of my childhood and my life that have been terribly imperfect, but they led me exactly where I needed to go at every step of the way. And so, yeah, I mean, there was, you know, addiction and abuse and chaos and divorce and moving and, you know, whatever else, right? And it's not that I'm trying to like hide my sharing. I've just talked about it a lot. And also the healing part, you know, I think you're asking about, I also see the healing being kind of a common thread that was happening all the way at um, very early ages. You know, my first exposure to therapy was at eight years old when my parents were getting divorced. And then, you know, I discovered Wayne Dyer books on tape in high school, and that was incredibly healing. And, you know, mentors and and therapists and guidance counselors and group therapy in high school, I got put in this group thing that like really you know, made me feel not so alone. And so it it was always happening. As an adult, you know, I really went deep into therapy and into other modalities to really get me to see myself, to really see how I was living into conditioning that was left over from what I observed as a Mm. child or society or whatever. And I really started to unpack that really in the last decade, maybe 15 years now. And, you know, that just work never ends. Yeah. You know, it, it's always, always a, it's part of our purpose for being here and, you know, what I believe at least. And, um, and so it's an ongoing thing. I'm still finding, you know, it's like the onion, you know, you peel it back a little bit. Yeah. You're like, damn, that thing's way deeper than I thought it was. So that's, you is know, there a of, lot with you? And maybe you have, and I apologize if I'm okay, yeah. Have you, I mean, is there, do you struggle with the definition of what your identity should be based on expectations of you? Uh, like, no, is that part of the family? Anymore. Have they let that? Okay. I don't anymore. I mean, you know, my um, identity is sort of like you just described. I've kind of landed in just like being, mm-hmm. and I'm not attached to, I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure maybe subconsciously there's still parts of me, but I'm, like, I'm not attached to being in real estate or business or successful gotcha. or a good guy or any of the things that in the past maybe I I felt like you know, we're part of my identity. Now I'm just trying to like be love and the best father and husband and friend and, you know, brother and son and human being I can be in everything that I do. And a big part of that is continuing to find ways that I can just authentically express myself and Mm -hmm. be in the world. Just exist. Yeah, exist. I mean, and, just exist. And, and, and it's exist that simple. To try to ultimately be in service to other people. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. So uh, that's okay. I, I, that's okay. I, I no, 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 no. I, I, I just want to make sure, yeah. you know, we have a chance as we start to wrap up to really talk about yeah. what you're up to now, what mm. you're doing. I mean, you've been on this journey. You've been on this path. It's been uh. full. You've done so much work. And now you know, you found film and, you know, this outlet that is the person that you wanted to be when you were a kid, right? That you were meant to be, that you couldn't be, didn't feel safe being or comfortable being. Now you're doing it. So just talk a little bit about, you know, what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, 
let's roll back a little bit because I would challenge a lot of people listening. And, and I've always said this, you know, this didn't, just like you would say, this just didn't happen overnight. And especially during COVID, like I, I was really appreciative of COVID because the world got really quiet. I spent a lot of time in the forest, slowed down things. And then all of a sudden I started really hearing the voice of the universe in my head, like explaining to me what you are supposed to be, how you will be in service in your small way to make the difference. Because none of us are, you know, in my head when I was younger, I'm like, oh, I could be Che Guevara. I could be Malcolm X. I could change the way the world sees me as social. And that's not the way the universe works. Mm. You follow the path. Mm. So when the world got quiet and that voice got loud, I started to feel that vision of, I can make film, but use film as the medium for what it is. It's the most common platform to really disseminate information to a broad audience that, that we have currently. And I really said, I've got to focus on the things that I see that are really bad with the human species and, and human condition right now. And that is healing. I really want to showcase the mental healing process, the cathartic process that the projects that we take on have a lot to do with that. And then alignment. And I find alignment, I've found that people resonate with alignment through seeing other people's passion. Mm -hmm. So if we follow people doing their passion, you see that person is seeking exactly who they're supposed to become, not just for themselves, but for their broader experience for, for what they should be for the universe. I really wanted to showcase those type of projects. And then those projects started coming to me. Mm. And they continue to come to me, mm -hmm. which is which is strange. You know, mm. I get things that I'm I had no business producing that I've helped produce that are like, wow, that was great. I just did a a really powerful trans story at the start of the year that I was like, whoa, came out of the blue, had an opportunity, produced mm -hmm. it. So that's where film became part of it. it. It wasn't like, oh, this is for me. I can do film. It was, this is a medium for you to do what is necessary for the universe, for you to follow what, what we need of you mm. at this point. Mm -hmm. So cool. i um just sitting here thinking... How great it is that, you know, people from your background, you didn't use these words, but like this very macho sort of, you know, male dominant, like angry, violent world, right? A world of addiction and drugs and guns and violence and, you know, all kinds of scary, bad shit, right? Like that's a part of who you are, but you're actually now able to connect with all kinds of people that you can, like you did in college, right? Mm -hmm. Just see the humanity, mm -hmm. right? See the oneness, see the similarities and tell those stories. And, you know, I, I just give you a lot of credit because I'm sure that it's continually healing for you and it's, and it's tremendously healing for the subject and for the audience and you know what a beautiful way to use that experience to be in the world yeah. you know so thank you for that that's what we're doing yeah. i mean that's that's it in a nutshell right there is yeah. that i i told my mom you know when when i really got into it i'm like you know if i can extrapolate all the pain input into me and I'll put it exponentially, all of it will be worth it mm -hmm. for, for me to showcase mm -hmm. the story so mm -hmm. whatever i had to endure was exactly what I was supposed to so that I could put what I'm supposed to out there. Yeah. Cool. Well, I can't wait to see what you keep putting out there in the yeah. world. And uh, it's good to 
have a chance to spend some time with you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate and it. I don't know if you have any uh, kind of final thoughts or anything else you want to share, but uh, yeah, thank like you. Like I said, man, I would say if you're searching for it, that's a good step. Mm -hmm. Get quiet. Mm. Force yourself to be quiet for about three to six months, you know, outside of the world, have, have a more disciplined approach to that. And then uh, the universe will come to you. Yeah. Great. Thank you. All Appreciate right. it. Thanks, Brett. All right. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.